And who did you get your forthrightness from? My forthrightness? Oh my god! He earlier today, <laughs> Gary's throwing around forthright. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? I have to freaking Google it. I'm like, what the heck is that word? He's like, you're talking from the 18th century, and we're back in Shakespeare's time. I'm a walk at the source. But come on, now all you had to do was say straight shooter. You know, you don't got to be all fancy. Sorry. No, I, I think that's just something that I, I think that's more of a problem of mine than a, than something that's good. <laughs> no, <laughs> Probably, George. It's got me into more trouble than it's helped me, I would imagine. <laughs> hey, toy family. Welcome to the Marsham Toy Hour, where we discuss anything and everything designer toys. I'm Gary Ham. I'm Trace Hawkins. I'm George Gaspar. So guys, last week we were talking about DesignerCon, and I have mentioned that it's kind of weird to walk to the floor after doing this podcast because any listener, they've heard so many stories, and they feel like they know us a little, well, a lot more than we actually know them. And uh, so it got, got me to thinking that, honestly, we really don't know that much about one another. I think listeners probably hear the show, and they assume that we're best friends, and then we hang out all the time, but... That's just not the reality. We all live in different states, and we only meet up once a week to talk during the show. And I only see you guys at conventions. You know, George, I don't think I've ever hung out with you. I've, I've seen you many a times over the last 15 years at conventions. But yeah. have we ever actually, like, gone out and hung out and talked? Like, do you know the names of my kids or anything? I don't think we've even had a meal. I, I honestly, I think it was, we was one time we were going to, but then you didn't want to eat there and you went and got pizza instead. <laughs> no, I do. No, I do remember one time we went to the Cheesecake Factory with the Tollisons and myself and you and Elaine. And this was back when you were growing out your beard. And I remember this vividly because we're sitting at the dinner table at the Cheesecake Factory. This is Pasadena. Oh, and, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, because Baby VTech came to that meal. That's right, Baby VTech. And you were putting in like... um paper clips in your mustache it wasn't paper clips it was it was it was hair clips like women's hair clips so that i could pull the mustache back and actually <laughs> eat without getting it all over my face yeah so i remember oh that God. vividly and i and the only thing i remember about the entire conversation of that meal and this is still stuck to me to this day this is probably 10 years ago or something you and scott were talking about how each of you always have to spit in the urinal before you pee Oh my God! Why would you bring that up? But yeah, that was—I do remember that. That's the only take. That's the only takeaway. I don't remember anything else. So that's, meal. that's your, that was your whole takeaway of like meeting me was like the grossest thing ever. Yeah, I know you guys had some sort of bonding moment over this spitting in the urinal moment, and I didn't have it. I don't think I do that. And then I remember like I went back to work that that following. It's not weekend, just urinals. It's any time you pee, you have to spit in the water first. No. Why? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't spit outside of that. I don't like go around spitting outside. Like I'm not a spitter, but like for some reason before I pee, I have to spit in the water. Wow. TMI. We're already getting a little beyond what I needed to know about you, George. <laughs> hey, sometimes you got to find things out a little deeper. But that's what I'm saying. We've never, other than that one time, we've never hung out, but I listened to plenty of podcasts with other friends talking on a podcast. And I assume like, they're hanging out every weekend. They're traveling together. But that's that's just not the case. I see you guys only at conventions. We've built up this chemistry that we have only from doing the show. And then I, you know, when I go out there, we will hang out in your booth at a 
Designer Con, and Teresa and I, we know each other a little more because we've done four conventions together and we walk around and hang out, you know, afterwards. But so, yeah, I want to get to know you a little bit more. All right, I'm down. Well, and and last episode, Gary, you said George was the star. So, you know, I'm just the scraps at the bottom of the bucket. That's why so, I go you know. first, Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't you say know, that. Let's give George all the love, all right? You know, I get it. We'll get to season three or whatever the next one is. What season are we on? This is season three. We'll be rolling in season four next month. Right, so we'll get to know Teresa in season four. There you go. <laughs> okay. But no, I'm with I'm with Gary. I I mean, yeah, I see you at events and stuff, but I mean even I was talking to Jess at Decon, I was like I I don't even know if you know this, Gary. You remember we were talking about the Tar McPherson's Taylor Scouts and he had talked about how he liked the Grumpy Blue Mountain and I found one and so I brought it to him at Decon, but I was talking to Jess before I gave it to him and I'm like, I don't know if he even is going to like this. I think I know George, but I don't know George. Like, I still don't fully know his taste. He could like hate this. Well, the Grumpy Blue Mountain is up on my shelf in my sculpting studio. Oh, yeah. We're good. It's not going to end up on George's garage sale table next designer con. Well, maybe next, maybe two designer cons from now. <laughs> well, let me know. I'll pick it up for a buck. <laughs> but so you, but oh, your parents are, who is the creative in your family or the one that, that you got your talent from as far as sculpting and just being a creative? Um, I mean, both of my parents kind of have an eye for that kind of stuff. My dad was, my dad's an architect and he's like, he was like an amateur photographer as well. So like, I think he kind of had that. You know, he had that side of it. Um, and then, you know, my mom, I think she encouraged the creativity, and I think she's had that in her as well. But she's, like, my mom worked for the post office her whole life, so she was, she didn't have, like, a art job at all like that. But she's, like, she's like she's a gardener, and she does, you know, she's all about the, the aesthetic beauty of all that kind of stuff. So I think it was kind of just raised around that, you know? Okay. So did you always know that you wanted to be an artist or a sculptor or doing toys? Or did you go to school to be for this? Yeah, I did. I went to, well, I first went to community college for the first two, did I go for two years or one year? I can't remember. I think maybe it's just one year at community college because I had no idea what to do after high school. I was, I, I, you know, I knew that I was like, there was no way I could get like a regular job, like, I don't even know what a regular job would be, but I, I knew I couldn't go to do that. Mm-hmm. So I went to community college figuring like, well, I don't know what I'm doing yet. So let's see if I can go here for a year and do something. And then after a year of community college, I went back to my high school and I went to the guidance counselor and I was like, what can I do? Like, I don't even know what to do. Like I was a year out of high school and went back to my high school guidance counselor. And I was just like, I don't know what to do. Cause I didn't know, I honestly had no, you know, I'm from a small town. I didn't know who else to talk to about it, but they had just gotten this poster in from the art institutes and it was like one of those like mailers that all the schools got, I'm sure. And which like she was like, Oh, I just got this poster in for this art institute. Maybe this is something you'd want to look at. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sure, let's look into it. And it was it was for uh, the art institute particular one was in Pittsburgh that I was looking at because they had a um, special effects program. And so I was like, Yeah, that sounds amazing. Like I'd love to do that kind of thing. So I went and checked out the school and ended up going there the next September or whatever it was, October. No, um, so I went no to Art Institute of Pittsburgh. And I would tell everyone right away, now that I've said the name a few times, never go there. Um, <laughs> school, I don't even know if it still exists. Most of the art institutes have been shut down for being um, corrupt. Uh, and they're almost all unaccredited at this point. So I don't even know if my degree means anything anymore. But 
uh, yeah, don't go to the Art Institute. They're a terrible school. To be fair, <laughs> that's not all Art Institutes. He's just kind of making a blanket statement on based on his experience. No, no. I think that if you look up, if you Google the Art Institutes, I believe that they got uh, like they're all getting shut down. Oh, really? It's not just. The, I think the Pittsburgh one might be one of the remaining ones that's still there. Wow. But a lot of them have been shut down for being corrupt. Yeah, it's a it's a bad it's a bad time. Google that stuff. I'm, don't take my word for it. Do your research. So you went there for special effects. Is that where you learn how to sculpt? It's weird. Like I don't even remember. Like. How, like how I got into sculpting, like how I became like, I, it wasn't like I was at like a kid sculpting or anything. I took like ceramics classes in high school and I loved that. Like I loved doing the, you know, building with clay and stuff, but it wasn't like I was sculpting figures or anything like that. Um, and in school we did have, you know, we had a couple sculpting classes and things like that, but I don't even know like where that sculpting part of it came from. I think it was more once I got into the toy industry and kind of got into that. I thought I was going to be a special effects guy. Like that's, that's, that's what my original plan was. Like special effects, meaning what? Like, um, like the fake makeup stuff. Like yeah, it looks like, like blood yeah, and guts masks and, and stuff. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have to all be blood and guts, but that's what a, a majority of it is, I guess. But like, yeah, back in the olden days, they used to make movies using actual like monsters and creatures and things like before CG was a thing. And like everything that we basically were learning in college was like the year, a year or at the time away from being completely eradicated and not even used it. <laughs> and I think that's kind of our age group of people. We kind of all had that, like no matter what you were in, like if you were doing editing, you were about a year away from being replaced by digital editing. And if you were doing, I'm sure even graphic design, you probably learned it on paper and now it's all on a computer. So like our kind of age group got screwed with the computers. Yeah. Yeah, everything we were learning in school got quickly replaced by computers and it really became meaningless for most of it. So how did you get into the toy industry then? Um, after college, I had no, again, no idea what to do with myself. And I just sent resumes like everywhere I could figure out. Like I knew that there was that company called McFarland Toys because I collected their stuff. Mm -hmm. And they, I, I was like, I didn't know who to send a resume to. So I like, I bought the comic book and I sent it to the address that was on the back of the comic book. And I went to the Toys R Us and I took the address off the shipping box that was in the aisle. And I, oh, I wrote wow. that down and I sent that, I sent my resume to that address. And then there was one more, I can't remember what I found the third one. I think it was some, somewhere else. It was like a third address. There was like an, one in Arizona, one in Michigan and somewhere else. I just sent my resume to all the McFarlane addresses I could find in hopes that someone would get it to the right person. And it did. That's crazy. It's funny. I forget that like the internet didn't exist at one point. So you couldn't just Google a careers page for a company. There was nowhere to go to like figure out how to like who to send it. There was no, you know, there wasn't a Google. There was no spawn.com or anything. It was, I was literally like finding it places. I think it was the one from the Toys R Us box is the one that actually made it to the right people because it went to some, it went to some department that knew about the toy, like to the right toy people. And they're like, I think because I had a New York address at the time and the toy company was in New Jersey and they were looking for someone local. So it was like, they called me and they, they literally like called me probably like three weeks after I had moved to California. Wow. And I was oh. like, no, like I just drove, like I just drove to California. Like I had nothing going on. Like, so I like, I drove to California and I get this call like, Hey, we'd like you to come in for an interview. I was like, 
uh, <laughs> like I'm in California, like I'm coming home for Christmas. Can I come in for the interview then? And they were like, yeah, that's great. Perfect. Wow. So when I went home for Christmas, I scheduled an interview and drove out to New Jersey and they were like, this, this seems good. Like, do you want to, you know, do you want to work here? We need you for like seasonal work for, cause we have toy fair coming up. And I was like, yeah, I'll stay. So I, instead of driving, instead of going back for Christmas, I stayed there for, I basically, my, my McFarland job was like seasonal. It was like five to six months in New Jersey. And then I would go back out to California for five or six months. Oh, wow. That was like your first job job. Yeah. That was like my first, like tool, my first toy job. I had little things before that. Like I worked at a comic book shop in high school and I worked for the, I cleaned the post office occasionally and you know, all those kind of things. Like now when we had James Groman on, he was talking about potentially going to work for uh, McFarland and they said that you have to stay in a house with, with other artists and stuff like that. Did you have to work in that environment? No, this was before all that. I think it was very different. Like back when I was there, it was, this was pre uh, four horsemen having their own company. So they were all like, the guys who have become the Four Horsemen were all working at McFarland. Okay, uh, it was a very small company. There was probably twelve people in the in the toy department area and the toy department stuff. It was actually it wasn't even it wasn't even just called McFarland Toys. It was a company a, a guy named uh, uh, Tony Bellato. He had him and him and another friend had started a design company. It was AEB Design, and McFarland Toys hired AEB Design to be their toy branch. Oh. So it was, it was like when they answered the phone, it was AEB design McFarland toys. It wasn't even like, you know, it was like, huh. it was a whole, it wasn't even like just McFarland toys at that point. I got a question for Teresa real quick. Teresa, do you know what McFarland what? toys is? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> uh, I mean, I know it's a toy company, but um, I don't know, really know what they made. Well, like, quick aside, Teresa, in the 90s, McFarland Toys was the game changer of all toy companies. A lot of people like, collecting today, Teresa, started out by collecting McFarland Toys. Like, they changed the toy industry. Todd McFarland, he was a very successful comic book artist, and he started his own comic book called Spawn, which was done through Image Comics. And Yeah, it, Spawn was the, I, I believe Spawn might have even been the first Image comic. It was the inaugural Image comic. He yeah. they left. They all left Marvel to start their own company. Yeah, and so Teresa, when McFarland Toys hit the toy shelves, it was a game changer. These were unlike anything else. You know, I didn't even collect. Um, I didn't even know what Spawn was. I've never read the comics. All I knew is was I wanted those figures. They were detailed. They were cool. Well done. I was running all over town buying up every single one of them I could. And it's funny because today they just sit in my storage unit. I, I, it's not something I would collect today. I can care less for them today. But back then, it's how it, a lot of us got introduced to toys. Okay. And are, it sounds like there are they – was he like the first one to do like one-sixth figure type of stuff where it was – an attempt to represent a character, assume something pop culture, very realistically. No, because it was more. It was it was mostly their own creations, so it was more like okay. this monster stuff and based on the comic book. But it was okay. the thing that they changed was everybody was making like Star Wars action figures, you know, like these little three and three quarter things, and then Spawn toys were like seven inches, super detailed. Every little wrinkle was there, like every little you know, every little anything was on this toy instead of this like super slick little three and three quarter inch action figure. Mm -hmm. I got so, you. 
it was like it was a game changer for like the whole industry. Everybody was like scrambling to make better toys that looked like Todd toys. Spawn, spawn. Actually, it was Todd toys at the beginning. So you worked there seasonally. How many years did you work there seasonally for them? I think it was it was only two or three, like probably. Um, what did you of- actually? What did you actually do? Were you sculpting? Was that your role? Uh, when I first started, it was more answering uh, phones, A and B design, small toys. <laughs> yeah, no, it actually wasn't. It was, uh, <laughs> it was like fixing little things, like because they would have outside sculptors. So when the thing would come back, we'd have to fix little things on it or things like that that were wrong. So it was like just little bits of things like that, like little, oh, like this figure's zipper is is messed up in the mail. Like fix that. Like sculpt a new zipper or things like that. But then it became, uh, I started learning from um, Cornboy. Uh, who he was the accessories guy and he would he taught me a lot of like um, a lot of the like sculpting for accessories like so I did a lot of knives and guns and things like that and then it was a lot of molding and casting like I was doing a lot of that as well Jim who's now in Four Horsemen as well he taught me a lot of that now did the Four Horsemen all meet so did they did they know each other prior to working at McFarland no no they met at McFarland we should have them on sometime Oh, that would be great. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I know Cornboy would probably be open for talking. He's he's a great talker about all that stuff. He'd be fascinating to have on and hear their whole backstory. It's real good. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay, so then when do you? I know you've worked for a bunch of, a bunch of other different companies. When do you start? Did you ever have like a full time sculpting gig? Like, where do you go after McFarland? Um, I, mostly it was freelance stuff. For like, so after McFarland, so like when I would do those six months back here, I would do, you know, I would get effects jobs if I, you know, whenever I could find them. Cause those, those kind of jobs are all freelance type things where you work for a few months kind of, kind of jobs. Okay. So like I worked at a place called Berman studios out here and I did uh, a couple episodes of like Chicago hope, a couple episodes of X files TV show, wow. um, a couple episodes of, you know, this and that, that kind of stuff. So we would do these weird like a knee surgery on Chicago Hope, you know, or something like that. The, the X-Files one was pretty cool because I got to go to set. That was one of my first set experiences. So we got to be and work the effects. Like, that was kind of fun. And then, so, like, I would do these in-between jobs like that. And then I started finding out that there were little little toy companies out here, um, out in California, that I was able to get little freelance jobs for. So there was one, I can't even remember the name of it. They made the Saturday Night Live action figures. I don't know if you remember those from years ago. Mm-hmm. But I worked at that company for like, you know, their mold maker was going on. He needed to go on vacation. and He'd never been on vacation before. And because they could never find someone to keep to do that stuff. And I, you know, that was what I had known. So I like I worked for them for a couple weeks and things like that. There was a place called Soda Toys. I don't know if you remember those guys at all. I worked there that was kind of full time. I think like I would work there a bunch, but I would also be able to take it home and work from home for them. I worked for Sandy Calora, who's an artist out here and he was, he was doing work for Mezco. And I, so I got to work on a bunch of Mezco stuff. Oh, nice. They had a silent screamers type line too. I think silent, maybe theirs was silent screamers and McFarland was movie maniac. I think that's what it was. Um, so I got to work on that stuff and that was where I first got my first like packaging credit, which was fun. So like on that Silent Screamer series two, I believe I have packaging credit on those. Um, and then I got, then I finally found like a full time job in the toy industry, which was at Gentle Giant. Gentle, I remember to say, I remember you saying that you worked at Gentle Giant for a while. Yeah, and that was a okay. that was a long term gig. Like that one, I was there for 
Trusa, Probably. you know what jungle giant is? No, but I don't even know what any of the other words you said before that was. <laughs> <laughs> you are you are so strictly hard. a designer toy gal, huh? Well, I'm like, what? What were you saying? Smickle, meckle, mezco. So, mezco. So these what are all that? these are all regular toy companies, like mass market toy companies. I this is why I told you I was going to be dumb on this episode because I'm like. <laughs> I don't know it. Like I'm literally trying so hard. I'm like, all right, George is telling me all these things, but literally that entire, that entire two minute spiel, I couldn't understand any words except when you said like the, and. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no. So yeah, I, I but no, I, I have no idea what Gentle Giant is. Gentle Giant's a big company, big movie type collectibles, more statue esque, more maquette type stuff, right, George? Yeah, they were they were more of the collectible busts and things like that. Um, yeah. But they also yeah. were a prototyping company, so you know their that those busts and collectibles was their in-house brand that they would release. But then they were also a regular toy studio that companies would hire, kind of like a Big Shot Toy Works kind of company, where like you would go to them to prototype your toy, and then other companies would hire them to make their stuff. So like companies like Toy Biz, who I'm sure Teresa has never heard of. <laughs> or play along or things like that like those or jacks pacific like mattel really? any of those hasbro okay. any of those companies mattel hasbro i know those there you go so we would we would do <laughs> like we would do sculpting for all those companies at general giant that's the kind of work we did there oh okay kind of like okay so the goal wasn't necessarily that you would always produce them but you might do the initial start and then right. someone just, else would make what's called prototype you make the prototype for them based on their design. So they would hire you to make their action figure. You'd give them the master and then they would go make, then that company would go make it. Any okay. popular lines that you helped prototype for? Um, a ton of Lord of the Rings. Um, I got to sculpt one Harry Potter figure once for Mattel. There was, I think the time I was there was a lot of Lord of the Rings. When I first started, it was Planet of the Apes, the Tim Burton one. So oh, that's wow. how long ago it was that I was working there. But then it was everything from like, you know, I've done some Bob the Builder things to, you know, Disney, little Disney things. And I mean, pretty much anything like most a lot of Lord of the Rings. I remember a lot of Lord of the Rings when we were there. And this was so this was all sculpting. Well, sculpting. And then so the first I think the first probably two years I was there as a sculptor. And then I moved up and became a project manager. Okay. Um, so, and then after, when, once I was a project manager, I very rarely sculpted because there just wasn't time. But did you do everything from cute to creepy and or photorealistic? Or was there like a certain style that Gentle Giant tended to own? Or you all kind of did whatever, whoever came was, to you with whatever. It was everything. Did. Yeah, it was everything. We had, we had people, like there were sculptors in-house who were, who were better at certain styles. Like there was a couple people that were like the Disney people. So like anytime we had a Disney character, it would go to these two sculptors or anytime you had a monster, it would go to this guy over here or anybody who did, you know, if you needed a realistic face that looked exactly like the guy, you go to these two guys over here, like that kind of thing. Okay. Okay. But we did everything. Like we did everything there. Have, do you own things you've helped sculpt? Like, do you collect that at all? Oh my God. My, I have a, a garage full of stuff that's what half my stuff at this decon was trying to get rid of like stuff i realized like wait a minute i just project manage that do i really need to keep it right 
So usually when you project manage, you get one of everything that you you work on, right? No, no. Oh. But I would I would tend to, I would try and buy it. I would always go out and find it. Ah. Um, just because if it was something that I was proud of that we worked on, I would get it. Or like if I sculpted it, I still try and keep it. Like if I anything I've sculpted, I try and go and buy and I try and keep one of. But even that got to the point where I was like, I, I don't have room for all this stuff anymore. Wrestlers, guys, a lot of wrestlers. <laughs> I mean, you got to go like you'd be working for these companies. Obviously, it would take probably a bit to manufacture. But at some point on a shelf in, you know, Toys R Us or what have you, that toy that you helped with would be there. It's got oh, yeah. to be really cool to like walk through the aisles and be like, yeah, I help with that. Yeah, I help with that. That'd be cool. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. I mean, there was a, there was one point with the wrestling because there was one point where when I was still just a sculptor that like no one wanted to do the wrestling stuff because everyone hates wrestling. Everyone hated wrestling. They just wanted to do <laughs> monsters and cool stuff. So I was the guy that was doing all the wrestling. And there was one point where it was me and this other guy. And between the two of us, we had sculpted every wrestling figure that was on the shelf. Wow. Like he did all the heads and I did all the bodies. And it was like pretty much every one of them there were sculpted by the two of us. <laughs> so you just did a lot of men in uh, short shorts. Oh yeah, I sculpted <laughs> a lot of a lot of man a lot of man figures. <laughs> what project came across your table that would always come across your te- your desk that you just that you just hated working on? Was there anything that you just a certain type of thing that we all have that in our day jobs or whatever? You're just like, oh god, I don't want to go to work tomorrow because I know it's going to be this. What was that for you? Um, Is it molding, or did you hate you know doing molds and that sort of well, stuff? At that point, like when I became a sculptor, I didn't have to do that stuff because like we had a molding and casting department. I would definitely say that's my least favorite. My like cleaning castings is my least favorite part. Mm-hmm. Molding, I don't mind; it's pretty easy. Casting is super easy, but cleaning castings is my least favorite part of it all. And even to today, like I, I just loathe it. It's just like it's my least favorite part. Right. Did you ever get to Were work on any-, any fun like lines? That like I know you're a huge fan of the Ninja Turtles. Did you ever get to work on any of the Ninja Turtle mainstream toys? You know what's funny is I don't think I've ever worked on any Playmates toys at all. Hmm. Um, I, I one the line that I'm probably the most proud of that I didn't do. I didn't really do any sculpting on maybe a little bit here and there, but it was mostly just project management, but I'm still the most proud of was that there was a company called play along and they did a line of, um, it was Lord of the Rings and it was, they were probably, I don't know, maybe two, maybe two inch figures, maybe. And they were just mini, like little mini sculpted dudes, but they were, we did everything. Like it was the most, it, it, when if you collected that stuff and you put it all out, you could recreate the entire movie. We did everybody, every character. We did we did castles. We did we did catapults. We did battling rams. We did everything. Like it was such a cool line, hundreds and hundreds. Like I had in my office, I had every one of those because those they actually did send me one of. So I only had to buy certain ones that they missed, okay. and I had I had a wall of just covering my wall in the office. It was awesome of those figures it was so much fun because we were all into lord of the rings at the time you know it was after the first one had come out i think already and maybe even two of them had come out so we and we just got to do everything dragons and 
just the just those one of those elephant creatures that they were riding like everything was made for that stuff. it was oh. so cool that sounds that awesome awesome you know i could hear it raining in the background george i'm gonna have to go, you know what i'm gonna have to go spit in the toilet so i can go pee <laughs> <laughs> let me just, i wonder if i could turn my mic down. no it's, it's kind of it's, no it's, it's kind of a nice hear, little drizzle okay. though no, it's like drippy clickies, and yeah. I thought maybe you were opening like candy or something. No, it's no. pouring here, and this is very rare for us in LA. But it's been it's been pouring all day, and it's great. I can't believe you realized it was rain. I was trying to figure out what that noise was—that clicky noise. <laughs> My bladder That's knows crazy. what's going on. George, so when you're project managing something, did it, anything come across your desk that you're like, oh, just you just want to tell the sculptor to move because you want to sculpt that project? Is it difficult being a project manager and separating like yourself from wanting to actually sculpt and work on the project too? Oh, uh, there's so many times where that happens. I mean, even even now, like because there's a lot of times where I'll project manage for for like band and stuff that I would love to sculpt the piece and just I don't have the time. Like when you're if you're especially when I was working at that job back then, it was, it was all emails and dealing with people. Like there was no time to sit and sculpt. Now today, are you primarily, your day job is project managing. I know you're working for the, the movie studio company. You'll help with uh, the Thor and some of the Marvel, you know, Deadpool and the costumes and stuff. So are you project managing today as a day job? Or are you sculpting? Um, when I'm doing stuff for myself, it's both. Um, if you see the stuff that 3D Retro puts out, they they put out it a lot these days. I get to kind of pick and choose if I if I can sculpt it. If I have the time, I'll sculpt it, and if not, I, I project manage it with a couple other sculptors. So I have two. I have, I have like a digital guy that I use, and I have a traditional uh, person. I go to them to, for sculpting. Okay. So the movie work is that seasonal or is that full time for you? it's it's completely job to job it's one of those things that like like i haven't been doing it for a couple months now okay. um like once the last gig ended there hasn't been another one back for me and and there are other effects companies but i generally just work with this one i you know i just i'm not i'm i don't i'm not good at schmoozing and, <laughs> and figuring. i'm just i'm terrible at all that stuff so i, I like I don't really do the whole thing. Like I'm like all the effects guys are really good at schmoozing. Like that's how you get your job. You, you know, you stay in contact with everybody. You call people, you, you know, you do. I just, I'm terrible at all that. Yeah. No, I, I remember that from, I worked in the animation industry and that's kind of how it worked. When a movie ended, you would have to like network to run to the next studio. And I was never good at that either. Like that's just, yeah. that's just you know, that's just, I just, I'm not into that lifestyle either where you just kind of have to just, What's it called when you hop from job to job? Job hopping. <laughs> There's that. Oh, I forgot. But... Job hopping. <laughs> I, I don't really know what you're trying to get at. Uh... Oh, no man, no man. That's where you just kind of jump from job to job, place to place, sort of thing. I was it's, it's, that lifestyle just never interested in me. Yeah. That, that's exactly it, though. And I'm not good at that whole like keeping in contact with everybody to try and get the next gig. Like, I'm just I'm terrible. And I know I'm terrible at it, and I should work at it, but I just. Go with your strengths. I, know. I know what you I, mean. I just, you don't like to network and hobnob and do all that, you know, BS kind of kind of crap. You just want to focus on your work. And it sounds like you're a really awesome project manager for Gentle Giant. And you did it the last few years. So, what all was involved with that job then? It, you know, it was dealing with all the different toy companies, and then dealing with our sculptors, and you know, making sure everything was done and done on time, and getting the budgets and all that stuff. It was a lot of, it was just a lot of emails and budgets and things like that. 
but I love that stuff. Like I, and I love dealing with the factories. Like, and then I was also doing a lot of that where like for our internal stuff, like I would deal with the factory for our stuff that at general giant, like any of the statues that was under my, you know, under my watch, like, you know, I would deal with those. That was the, that was the fun stuff. Have your factory connections that you learned about through your previous jobs helped you with designer toy stuff? Have you been able to help network and connect, say, a 3D retro to one of the factories that you knew about through Gentle Giant? Actually, funny enough, um, I purposely kept that completely separate because I was when I when I first started October Toys, I was still working at Gentle Giant. And, you know, so I told, you know, I asked the boss if it was OK if I did this. And I told him, like, look, I'm going to keep it. I want to keep it completely separate. Like, I, I'm finding my own factories that we're not using. So, like, I purposely kept all that stuff separate. Like, I didn't want to use the factories that we were using in the toy industry. I, I found different factories. Because I just didn't, I, I didn't have that weird crossover where, like, you know, it could be, like, misconstrued that, you know, it was – I just didn't want to mix the two. No, that makes sense. I want to get back to October Toys, but – your current job, we were talking about how you're doing project management for 3D Retro, a lot of designer toy projects, but occasionally you might work for a, a movie studio type thing where you're helping with uh, costume accessories and all that sort of stuff, and you're doing sculpting for that stuff? Yeah. How is it different working for like a movie company like that versus sculpting and doing work for the toy industry, or is it kind of the same? It's kind of the same. You're just doing – I mean, you're just doing it larger, you know, because you have to make it life size instead of tiny. Yeah. The coolest part is getting to see the toys made from the stuff that we made big. Like getting getting to see like when I got to go to the store and buy the Thor action figure of the pieces that I sculpted on there was awesome. <laughs> like just because like it's kind of like a crossing of those two worlds. Yeah, like that's no, awesome. I think the Thor one was the first one that was really like. A, like a recognizable piece that I was like that I worked on, so I was like that was that was probably my most fun one buying. And then are you nitpicking it, looking at it like what's the reality versus what the toy factory ha- you know cut plaques had to do? Oh, of course, that's what my life is. I nitpick everything. <laughs> You're not judgmental. No. Yes, uh, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say you sculpt costumes, I'm trying to like get my head wrapped around that because in my head, costumes in some regard might be fabric. So is it just like, is there just certain elements you're sculpting that get built into a costume or are yes. you sculpting- I'll give you, a, I'll give you a good example that you probably would have seen pictures of, or at least know a little bit. So did you see the, do you watch the star Trek movies at all? The new ones? Yes. Uh, I've seen the first one. Yes. All right. Well, in the second one, it was a scene that I'm saying it because it was on the poster. So it was like it was a it was Spock in this copper suit and it was his it was called the volcano suit. And it was in the scene in the beginning where he went down into the volcano. So like that suit I helped work on. So in in that case, there's the costume, the costume department who's made the the fabric part of it and they're doing all the sewing and making all the pieces and you know they do all the fitting to make sure it fits him and all that kind of stuff and then on that suit are all these little rectangles these little copper rectangles so like we had to sculpt those because there's a bunch of different sizes so we kind of sculpt that shape and we do molding and casting and cleaning and all that kind of stuff and then they were plated in copper and then all that stuff has like nuts and bolts and stuff on the backside so that then we had to go and put that into the suit part that someone else sewed. 
Jesus. So like that, that's kind of the steps. There were 634 rectangles on that suit, I believe. If that's what if I remember correctly. Holy crap. So yeah, like I just... the suit had 634 parts to put onto it, not including the big pieces like the helmet and the gloves and all that pads and stuff. Now, do you design, like, do you sculpt for guns and helmets and all those sort of accessories as well? Or is that like a separate department? Well, for, yeah, for us, it's whatever comes in from the costume department, like whatever they hire us for. I haven't, I don't try to think gun wise. Like the only thing that looks like guns or anything that we made was that, um, that movie Logan, did you see that one? There was uh, yeah, I did. The, the bad guys had like these mechanical arms that had like guns all over them and stuff, and we did all those like mechanical arms and things like that. Okay, all right, okay, oh, cool. I got gotcha. you. So it, 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 it all depends on the on the film and whatever they get hired to do. And you said you did Black Panther too, right? The new one. Yeah, we did the and like when I say I worked on this, like I am a small part of this team. You know, like there's these. It's this, it's this company called Film Illusions, and you can look up, it's Film Illusions Inc. online. Look up their portfolio and just see all the stuff that they've worked on. And I'm just one tiny guy in a team of 20 people, men and women, who are making all of these amazing things. So you're kind of like a jack-of-all-trades in the sense if someone wanted to start up a new toy company, you can come in. You'd be the initial guy. You could do the molding. You do. You could do the sculpting. You could do the licensing dealing with. You could do the project management. Like you can really help someone start up a new company if they want to. And that's probably a large part of your role with 3D Retro. Then I would assume. Um, with three, yeah, with 3D Retro, I do most of just like handling the handling the sculpting part, making sure the artist is happy with that kind of stuff, and then just handling the production part. And he does all everything else. Like Ben does all the, I don't, you know, when it comes, once it's here, I don't deal with it. Like I don't, I don't do any of the marketing or any of that kind of stuff. Or, okay. You know, I just, I just get it here. I get it to the U.S. Okay. So I know, I know we want to talk on the October toys thing too, but aside from 3D retro in our scene, I know you've done some stuff with DKE toys, like the showdown sculpts. Which are great. I love those. Yeah, like those are awesome. Like I, I'm trying to get a feel. For, like you're clearly everywhere. I feel like you have tentacles all over the place. But where all do do you pocket yourself in the scene besides 3D retro? I'll pretty much work for anybody that wants to hire me. I don't care. Like I, I <laughs> I'll sculpt if any if somebody needs a sculpt, they want something sculpted. I'll I'll do it. If you got money, I'm I'm here. So you're you're kind of freelance overall. In a way, yeah, yeah, like. yeah, for sure. Like I, I, like with October Toys, it was the closest I was to just doing my own, like doing our own stuff, like doing our own line. But yeah, I'm kind of back. I haven't done anything for myself in a long, in a while now because I was working, you know, effects jobs for a little bit now. So I kind of fell out of doing my own stuff. But uh, yeah, it was. I'm mostly just freelance, I think. So like, if like I, I sculpt for a bunch of the. A bunch of the bootleg guys have hired me to do sculpts for them, and um, like guys like Special Ed Toys and Good for You Toys, stuff like that. I don't want to start listing names, or I'll forget yeah, somebody. Yeah, you don't have to. But um, okay, so October Toys. This is a company you started. Yeah, with my ex-wife, my now ex-wife. Um, we started that, uh, and another guy actually. His name is Matt. He now works for Sideshow. Uh, but he was original. He was an original member of the company as well. 
Okay, so what all did you do through October Toys then? That was that like your bricadles and all that stuff, or was that separate altogether? That was just you on your own. That's separate from October Toys. No, that yeah, that was all done under October Toys. That was the the first thing we made while we were doing October Toys was uh, yeah, and we've and we've just skipped over one of my one of my most fun jobs that I've ever had, and maybe we'll get back to it. Was when I went on tour with Rob Zombie, but we'll get back to Fuck, that. Fuck no, I want to talk about that. There's so much. I want. <laughs> no, we're gonna no get... like, seriously. This is the George episode. I'm looking at the. I'm looking at our time, and like we only got like 40 minutes to squeeze in like all of this stuff. October know, toys, even... toy break, stuff with 3D retro, Rob Zombie, Little George. I my mind is racing, and we need to speed it up. <laughs> But this is all I can tell short we'll just, stories then. Oh. Give you a three part. All the rest of the episodes of the season will be George part one, George part yes. two, George part three. I, I want to hear some of those Rob Zombie stories. Where do we okay. go from here? We, but we got to right, finish we'll, October Toys. So let me answer stuff? the October Toys question. Yeah. So we started October Toys. Um, while this this was during while I was at General Giant. The, there was Matt and I were working together. Matt was one of the sculptors that he was on my team. Matt is one of the most amazing sculptors I know. I, there's probably in in my top ten people I like sculptors I know. He's in the top. He's in the top four easily. Wow. Probably top two. And so Matt, Matt and I were at work and we were doing all these like action figures and all this stuff and just bored doing action figures and like the stuff that I collected at the time were keys. Um, Teresa Key is a company that's <laughs> kind of like Kubrick. <laughs> Oh, the queue! I was—I literally thought for a second you collected keys for doors. I was like, okay, that's cool. You do, you, George. Q E Q E E. There was a there was a line called Key, uh, and we collected a lot of the, or I collected a lot of those. And uh, you know, Matt was just an amazing sculptor that you know we wanted to kind of work together. There was another guy at the time as well, but he he ended up dropping out ahead of, ahead of us actually starting it all. We decided, like, let's let's see if we can do a thing like Key on our own, you know, because they have all these artists that are working. Like, we just wanted to work with more artists. We wanted to do more art things rather than mass market, you know, toy stuff. That would be our day job, and this, and then the art stuff would be a, something we did for fun. We were like racking our brains. What could we make? We came up with a couple different platforms that we wanted, like different styles of platforms. One of them was like a Blythe doll type thing. Like one of them was a uh, the Gwen, the penguin that we ended up doing, like there was a couple different things like that. And we ended up picking the penguin because it was, we figured it was an open source platform called Linux that had the mascot of Tux. And we figured it, since it's open source, we can use that logo and it would have a, a semi built in audience that might want to at least collect the one that looks like the penguin. And then we can have these other artist ones that we could try and sell on the side. Um, so we, you know, we contacted the the guy that created Tux and we, you know, we asked if we, you know, we asked for permission and we got a letter back saying it's open source. I don't care what you do. And we were like, okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we, you know, we used that shape and we, you know, we sculpted it up and I think I, I think I sculpted that one originally and refined it a few times and got to the point where we liked it and got a few artists that, you know, reached out to some people that we knew through key, like Dr. A was one of the ones we reached out to. Um, Cause he was, he was a key collector at the time as well. And we, I knew him from being on the forums, which was a forum called Keister back then. 
so he was in our first line and there was another guy on there uh, called mimic uh he was from the uk he was in our first line and uh you know just a, a few different artists like that and that's how that's how it all started we just like we took a we took a loan from aileen's grandma actually yeah she was she was kind enough to, to give us a loan because we couldn't get a loan through the bank at the time this is all before crowdfunding yeah this was all this was this we crowdfunded of one just aileen's grandma and uh <laughs> She was she was kind enough to you know to help us you know get this all started and then with you know our family pitching in and that, that kind of thing, we were able to you know create a line. And awesome. We actually had we had orders from Tower Records like it was we were like oh sweet it's going to go in Tower Records. They ordered like this whole bunch of stuff. We were like this is going to be awesome, <laughs> and? and then like everything <laughs> everything's in production and Tower Records goes out of business. <laughs> yeah. And then all of our orders are canceled. <laughs> oh. You didn't. You didn't make more specifically for that tower record order, did you? You didn't order like thirty thousand more or anything like that. No, but we had ordered a lot based on the fact that we were going to be able to sell them to that. Yeah, so, that's true. Like, yeah, it was. It kind of. It was kind of a bummer. It was. It was kind of a pretty big hit. But luckily, we had a, there was a company called Think Geek. They they took some initially, so like that kind of helped a little bit. What year are we talking about here? 2004? So you're at the, kind of the early stages of designer toys? Yeah, I mean, I think the it was the same. I think I think the same year that the Dunny came out is the same year the Gwyn came out. Yep, 2004. Um, and so you, you like full on produced these, George. You didn't like hand cast in resin or whatever. Like you went to factory. Yeah, these were production factory vinyl painted toys. And did you guys start toy break and in a way to promote this series like when did toy break come into this toy break was 2006 wow and, okay. and it was literally born out of there was nothing there was no we couldn't find toy podcasts to listen to because podcasting was kind of super new back then mm-hmm. and there weren't there weren't a lot of shows out there so there was nothing about toys like there was one toy podcast that we found called big kids geek stuff and, but they were they weren't really toys. They were more comic book, movie, pop culture stuff. So you know that wasn't really what we wanted to like. We we wanted a toy podcast. So we were like, well, there's no one doing it. Let's just make one. And it was actually Aileen. She was like, let's make one. Like, I think people will listen to it. We'll do it once a month. You know, we'll put out a show. And I was just like, what are we going to talk about <laughs> once a month? Like, there's nothing. Like, how are we going to find a? How are we going to fill a half hour once a month? <laughs> That's how we started out too. How are we gonna do this every week? And yeah, here we are talking hour and a half every single week. It's it's yeah. crazy. It was it was insane. And it actually took her months to get to convince me to do it. And then I had to convince Matt. So it was like, <laughs> like I think we started talking about it in February of two thousand six and we didn't actually put up an episode till like November of two thousand or October of two thousand six. Now, Teresa, I used to watch and imagine this in a show where George wasn't the grumpiest person on the show. Matt <laughs> was like the hardest guy to please. It was almost, I almost thought it was an act, George. It was like, holy cow. Like, was that really how Matt was? Just Yeah, he. I mean, to be fair, Matt was going through a time back then, so it was a little oh, bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, he was, but I mean, no, he still, like, he hates, he hated the, to- like, he hates toys. Like, he doesn't hate them, hate them, but like, 
he has no interest in any of that stuff. He didn't collect any of the things that we cared about. Like, yeah, I sense that. <laughs> yeah, he, he was not like he collected like 12 inch military dolls at the time. And I think that was pretty much it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you guys are bring on like this stupid, smooth platform. Maybe like, <laughs> just don't even talk about this. <laughs> well, yeah, because he's a sculptor. Like, what is the like, who cares about this dumb shape? You know, it's like, great, this dumb shape that has no detail. Like, and he's a sculptor that can sculpt the most amazing thing. And you're bringing him this smooth ball. It's like, come on. <laughs> Man, are those out there, like, in the interwebs, if I wanted to go watch all of the old toy break? Are they out there to I be seen? So. I mean, you could, you could still look it up on iTunes, I believe. I believe it's all still up there. No, they were on YouTube though. Once it's on YouTube, they're they're kind of up there, aren't they? They weren't on when we started. YouTube didn't allow video. They, were, mm -hmm. they didn't allow they didn't allow videos over. At first, it wasn't over three minutes. Then they bumped it to five. Then they bumped it to like eleven, and then they finally unlimited it. And but like when we started, you couldn't put our shows on there. It wasn't. It was too short. It was too long. Okay. So we had to go. We did something like Blip TV or something like that at first, and. But yeah, I think you can just go to toybreak.com. It's probably still linked to somewhere. And they were videos like um, the behind the counter versus just yeah, podcast. Yeah. It was all the very first episode is like super grainy and <laughs> shitty. Like we were recording on like webcam. <laughs> we actually filmed the whole first episode and then realized we didn't hit record and had to do the whole thing over. Like, oh no! It was it was a whole. How many episodes did you guys do total? Uh, Four hundred full episodes Jesus. and then probably another i would say another hundred specials wow Holy moly and how many are we up to i'm gonna go look i thought we were doing pretty good we are at 121 we have a long way to go to get to 400 Holy well i mean to be fair toy break ran for 10 years 10 years i can't we're not gonna last to 10 years we'll be lucky if we last 10 more episodes <laughs> <laughs> to be fair just like this show, I did nothing. I I literally <laughs> showed up and I talked for an hour and then I and that was it. Like Aileen did all the work. She made the website. She did all the editing. She did all the like any piece of work that was done on that show was Aileen's. I, I didn't do any of it. So I can't I can't really take and it's kind of like this. I can't take credit for anything on this show. You do all the work. <laughs> I don't have to upload anything. I don't have to download anything. I don't have to like I literally just show up and talk. Yeah, but isn't that how it's supposed to work for the star, though? Like, you just show up, you do your thing, and then you leave, and then everyone else carries the rest of the workload. Exactly. It's perfect. <laughs> um, but, no, I missed the community of it because it was, like, we had a forum at the time, and it was, like, it was great. Like, we were, I was always, you know, talking to people on the forum. We're always doing all this stuff. That's the only way we were able to do that Kickstarter in the beginning. Like, we had, you know, we had an audience that we were talking to for 10 years, that, you know, we could say, hey, we're doing this thing. Does anybody want to be a part of it? You know, that's the only reason that stuff worked for us, I think. Yeah, yeah. It was weird how so, it ended. I'm not going to lie. Like, it just kind of just stopped. Yeah, that's what, that's what happened when we just fail. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, Everything yeah. kind of just stops. Yeah, breakups tend to do that. Things can tend to end after that. I mean, so not, I don't mean to say that to bring it down. I think it was funny, but yeah. <laughs> But that's the thing. None of us knew you were going through a divorce. We just thought there was just weird hiatus going on. And and know. honestly, we you know the divorce stuff from our point of from our side behind the scenes was over before Toy Break was over. We filmed. Oh really? Yeah, because we were like we're so close to episode four hundred. Like 
let's oh. just get like let's just get <laughs> let's just like, put up each other for a couple more months so we can get the 400 episodes well, no i mean we were still living in the same apartment we were just going through the whole breakup part of it yeah. so like it, we were still there anyway we were still we still had our toy company together we still had you know we were still living together and it wasn't i don't think we were ever to the point we never like we weren't like hating each other it was just like the marriage ended and you know you have to move on but like you could still be civil and like figure out life you know like you still have to do things and this was our business we couldn't just like blow it up you know it was still important it's still important to both of us to yeah. you know make that to to carry it out to, to its end but yeah that whole like that's where the coin came in like when we did the last kickstarter for the coin and kind of wrapping it up in a bang for like just kind of to, to kind of bring an end to it because it would have just it it could have literally just ended at like 390 or whatever you know and just been done and never like yeah. and then never go back but this way we at least got to have like a, a like a goodbye party kind of thing as i was gonna ask did you all actually have like a end episode where you told people this is our last episode no it didn't it's still it's <laughs> It's kind of there. If you watch it, I think you can maybe read into it, but it, it was never like, yeah, we never did that. We Someone's never, out there waiting for the, the next episode. <laughs> They're just on break. It's just a long hiatus. Oh, well, man. was her original plan was to keep it going. She was going to take it over and from wherever she was doing her things, and she would do specials and things like that. And I, I don't know. I don't talk to her all that much, so I don't really know what happened, but she's... She, I don't think she's put up very many more. It benefited us. We have you now. We, you couldn't yeah. do you couldn't do three shows. That's impossible. I could do it. Can't. You <laughs> can do it. I run out of stuff to say. What's a favorite toy break moment? You look over that entire ten years. Oh, that's tough. But I mean, I think one of the one of the most memorable was the first, like one of one of the live shows. It was sketch showed up. And it was like, I don't know, two in the morning. And uh, by then we're all kind of la- like just giddy and just kind of laughing. It's all weird. So it's two in the morning. And then Sketch shows up with Tristan Eaton, who I've never met. I had never met at that point. And like, I think a couple other people were there with him too. I can't remember. And then Tristan sits down and tells, like, sits down on the couch and tells the whole story of creating the Dunny. Wow. Oh, cool. And at that point, I had never talked to the guy, I'd never met him, like, never really knew any of the backstory of any of that stuff. And I'm just like, wow, this is amazing. Like, this guy who's like, you know, a legend in the scene at this point is sitting on our couch at two in the morning telling an audience of probably, I don't know, 10 people who are still up. (laughs) (laughs) That was was the hard part about those 24 hour episodes. I'd watch maybe. 20 minutes here or there, you know, but like you can't sit and watch the entire show with you guys. Maybe someone did, but I couldn't do it. And yeah, there was a couple people that did, but most of the time it was just people would come and go just yeah. like the, just like the people in the studio. Like we had people come and go throughout the day. Like, you know, Mr. Toast would show up at six in the morning with donuts, you know, cause he was an early morning riser. So he would come at six in the morning and it would be like perfect because we, you know, we don't have a guest at that point. And then all of a sudden he shows up and, yeah, it was, it was those things. I think the 24-hour shows were probably my favorite of all that. Yeah. You know, one a fun thing to do, Teresa, is search Toy Break George in like a Google image search. You're going to see 200 different versions of George. <laughs> that's, that's the best part about a video cast. <laughs> and 200 versions of his beard? 
Yes. Hairstyles, hats, clothes. Yeah, there was a two-year period where I was growing a beard for two years. So it was like you could kind of see the development of that beard over those times. I'll have to go watch. So you, you had mentioned at one point something about a little George. Was that a toy break thing? Uh, no, that was actually – it was born from the tour, the, the Rob Zombie tour. Oh, okay, um, so that's related to that. Yeah. And what about someone had asked about Grouch on the couch? Is that a toy break thing? <laughs> that was that was kind of a joke that we were going to start another another podcast called Grouches on Couches, <laughs> just because everybody always thought I was so grumpy all the time. I don't know why people think I'm grumpy. I'm not a grumpy. I'm not a grumpy person. <laughs> You know what it is? It's just one of those things where you might say one or two negative things and you get that grouch label for the rest of your life. Even though you might have been happy and laughing for 28 of those minutes, you were grouchy for two minutes and then, bam, you're labeled a grouch. I mean, I think that's kind of what – it is kind of how it it kind of came about probably because I do – when we're doing reviews of things – I didn't want to be a podcast that just said, look how wonderful this is every time. If you're going to ask me my opinion, I'm going to tell you my opinion. Yeah. If you don't want to hear it, don't ask me. But if you're going to ask me my opinion, I'm probably going to tell you what I think of it. And sometimes it's not always great, especially like from a, like from a sculpting standpoint, a lot of times, well, I'll, you know, I'll be able to see the things that I would do differently to make it better. And I'll say those things. Okay, question along that line, because someone was saying that they said more about when you're on the behind it the counter. Mean I'm right, by the way, just so we're clear. No. Like you those opinions. opinions I have are just my opinions. It doesn't mean it's the right thing. Yeah. But, we should really uh, do up one of those disclaimer of what they'll call it, like, the opinion disclaimers. We say like the views, thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are like yours and your opinion alone like like there's a good chance that we're probably wrong about a lot of things so yeah the, the opinions and views of the hosts of the march and toy hour are strictly their own opinion and not to be taken seriously or to heart to heart <laughs> uh, that i mean that was pretty well said <laughs> i know yeah. uh so well Teresa, i know you were in the middle of talking about like a listener question so what was that again what a, one of the listeners' questions was about how it's like you would wave off toys from four feet away. Like you'd like you'd be like, "Oh, that's crappy!" Like don't even bring it close to me. So like they're curious what it is you're looking for in a toy sculpt. Like what is it that grabs your attention that makes you think it's well sculpted versus not? What is it for you that makes it successful? Is it the detail or the approach? Oh, that's tough. I don't know. That's a hard question. Or do you just, you just, it's just like an instinct. You just look at it and you're like, eh. I, I, it's, got, it's, it's gotta be just a personal, I mean, cause what makes a toy for you? Like what makes it cute? Like what, how do you choose whether it's cute or not? It's just your aesthetic, like what you like and what you don't like. So I'm sure it's with me. It's just, it's my aesthetic. If I like, you know, what I like and what I don't like. There's times where you can tell something is sculpted poorly or if it's sculpted well, like it doesn't, even if I don't like it, like those I think those things we talked about recently, those those Mickey floral Mickey things, they're mm-hmm. really well sculpted. I would never want one. I think they're total garbage, but they're really <laughs> well sculpted. It's just not my yeah. style. There's kind of two there's two aspects to it. There's the I like it and I don't like it, and then there's the second layer of sculpted well, sculpted poorly. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and oh, there's plenty of things that are sculpted poorly that I still love. Yeah. 
Well, and you know me, literally, you could take a round, take a piece of clay, roll it into a ball, and all you have to do is put the proper placement of eyes and a smile on it, and I would buy it. Like, I I'm know. not hard I know. to that's why I, made, that's why I made Death Cap for Cutie. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you think Cutie came from? <laughs> I'm so happy I inspired that, and I still have my little guy. So let's go back and talking about Toy Break that you did for 10 years. That was weekly, and then pretty much when that ended, soon after that, you started co-hosting this show with us on the weekly, and then not much behind us was uh, behind the counter. So you're you're doing two shows now on the weekly almost, and then 10 years of it during to- Toy Break. So what is it that you like about doing podcasting or talking about toys? Like, what enjoyment do you get out of it? There's no money in this thing. Is it just that you like talking toys? It's me. um i yeah i love i love talking about toys i mean i i've like i truly enjoy toys like i truly i like i like making them i like sculpting them i like playing with them i like buying them yeah i just like i like talking about them also if i didn't have somewhere to rant it would just be jessica have to listen to me (laughs) rant all the time so like in order for me not to just rant her ear off, where she's already tired of hearing me rant about stuff, so now I have to come. I get to come here and say it to you, so I don't have to tell her. Oh, this is your release. I get it. <laughs> That's kind of the same way. Like my wife doesn't want to hear me talk about toys either. She can't relate to me on toys on any level. So this is how this is how I talk about toys. I come in here once weekly and talk toys with you guys. That's why yeah. I do it. No, same. I, no one in my family gets it co-workers don't get it like no one i have one co-worker phil who who gets this world and that's it so it's like yeah i like coming on and having people who get it to talk about it's fun yeah all right so before we get moving on we should take a brief break and mention some of our sponsors so the sponsor of this episode is my plastic cart and if you are in the new york city area be sure to visit their snug and friendly store and meet the store mascot, Kiba the dog. Otherwise, you can go to myplasticcart.com to shop their entire inventory. If you live in the States and spend $75 and more, use promo code TOYFAM at checkout and you'll receive free shipping. Nice job, dude. Good job. High five. Good job. Okay, before we so before we forget, bring up this zombie thing, Gary. What is this zombie thing we're going to talk about? Do you know what Rob Zombie is? Of course not. <laughs> oh come on, Teresa! You don't know anything. I'm sorry. Like... <laughs> I told you I'm going to be so dumb on this episode. I'm pretty sure you lived in a bubble until you were in your 30s, which was like what a year or two ago. I'm. I'm Googling it now. Rob Zombie. Oh, it's a music guy? <laughs> okay. I'm so... I literally thought you were talking about zombies as in, like, no. Walking Dead. No. I'm sorry. No, so, okay. so, George, I don't know the story. I know you were uh, not a groupie, but what's that called when you travel with the band? A roadie. <laughs> definitely not a groupie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Who knows? All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start this out with a with a a little note to Jessica in case she is listening. Go ahead and just fast forward for like five minutes because <laughs> she's so tired of hearing me talk about this. Because honestly, like, it's one of the to to me, 
it like it's I still feel like it was yesterday. It was literally like 18 years ago, but I still feel like it was yesterday. Okay. And it's probably the coolest thing I've done in my life till now. Um, a friend of mine named Pete, uh, him and I were visiting a, a, another friend of his who owns an effect shop. This guy's name is Wayne. And he wrote an effect shop. I think it was called Ex Mortis. Uh, he now runs, there's a store out here called Halloween Town for anyone that's in the Burbank area. They have uh, like three stores on Magnolia Boulevard in Burbank. But Wayne does all of the effects for Rob Zombie's movies. So, or, and, and his music videos and things like that. So Wayne is a friend of Rob Zombie's. I say that to say Pete and I walked into Wayne's shop one day. It was a Saturday just to go have lunch with him to say hello. Cause Pete's that kind of guy that knows how to schmooze and keep in contact with people. Good guy to know. And I'm not. And so I go with him to go to lunch. Wayne is on a phone call. He hangs up. He's like, hey, I was just on the phone with Rob. He's looking for two people to, to go on tour with him for this next tour because he wants to bring some of the monster suits we made. Do you guys want to do it? He's like, I don't want to go. He's like, I have no interest in going to that. And literally because we were the first two people he talked to after the phone call is how we got this job. Hmm. It was super luck. So Wayne hired us through, or Rob hired us through Wayne. Um, and our job on the first part of the tour was to take care of the monster suits and be the monsters during the stage show. <laughs> awesome. Like awesome. this is all we had. That's all we had to do, <laughs> uh, which was amazing. And so while we were there, uh, the tour was, it was called the Merry Mayhem Tour. You can actually look this up if you want to see pictures of all that stuff. It's called the Merry Mayhem Tour. And Rob was the... He was not the closing act. Ozzy Osbourne was the closing act. So Rob was the second to close. Okay. And it was it was just, it was amazing. Like, we're on tour with Rob Zombie and Ozzy Osbourne, and literally all we have to do is be monsters, like, during the show. <laughs> like, so we all day to just, like, hang out and, like, you know, fix the suits or whatever like that. We had to, you know, we had to touch up the paint on the stage because we had to, like, make sure that the stage looked good and everything. But we weren't really doing much of anything else. So like we kind of were like shadowing the guys that built the stage because they were the ones that were like putting all the parts together that we had to take care of. And in doing that, we got to kind of learn how to put the stage together and all that kind of stuff. So we would kind of help with that. And on the second part of the tour, the second tour where Rob went out by himself, we were the guys that built the stage too. So it was great. Like we got to, we, every day we would show up in a new city, build a stage and then hang out. And like catered meals at all these venues and, and then, you know, night would come and we would, they would play like Rob would play the, you know, the concert. We would come out on stage in our monster suits for whatever, you know, for whatever song we're in. Like there's a couple different suits and <laughs> then there's just tons of like girls everywhere. Like this is back when I was single. I would, you know, we were, <laughs> oh, both, yeah. we were in our early twenties. We were single. We were like actually maybe mid twenties, still single, whatever. So it's just like girl, different girls in every city, like girls are flashing all night at the stage. Like, you know, we didn't really do drugs or alcohol, both Pete and I. So like we didn't have that. But if you were into drugs and alcohol, it was everywhere. Like it was it was like the, the time of our life. Oh, you know? sounds like, like it. Yeah. The greatest thing ever. Hanging out with rock stars, getting all the side groupies that were coming to the show. And like <laughs> get passes and like, um <laughs> Oh, I got to sleep with the monster that was dancing on stage. Awesome. It was like they didn't even like it was like we were famous, you know, like they were just <laughs> like they wanted to they wanted to hang out with us because we were with the band. Like it yeah. was amazing. Huh. Um, and we have like the, the little George thing was born from going on this tour where I knew that I'd be meeting all these famous people. 
And I always hated when you, like, if you meet a famous person, you have somebody take your picture. Every time you hand your camera to somebody, like, your picture comes out like shit. Yeah. Because they crop it wrong or they just never take the picture you would have wanted. So I decided to make a doll of myself that I could hand to the person and they, I could still take the picture and be in the picture at the same time. <laughs> that's good. Smart. Uh, so that's literally all that came from. And then it became, you know, it all like a bunch of the crew guys thought it was really stupid and hilarious at the same time. So like they started doing stuff with it and, you know, it just became like its own thing. Um, pictures of, I have a million pictures of girls, you know, topless girls with little George and their boobs. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just, just all sorts of things like that. That's awesome. Do you still have little George? Uh, yeah, there's, there was many iterations of him over the years. Like there was each tour had a different George. And then I think after tour, I made a different George. When I went to the beard competition, I made a bearded George. Like there's been a bunch of them over the years. We need to resurrect. You should have him at events at decon. Yeah, I should. I just never, I never remember to do it. I want to carry little George around. I'll take pictures like a little uh, flat Stanley. I'll uh, take of, a That's kind of what he was, like a little flat Stanley thing. Did that kind of job pay well, or is it just more about just the traveling and all your expenses and that sort of stuff was taken care of? I mean, at the time, for what I was getting in other jobs, like it was amazing. Huh. Like, like the money was wired direct to our bank. So, and we were ha- we have per diem on the road. So you get, you know, I think we were getting like two hundred bucks a week or something for food. And you'd get that in cash, and then your paycheck would just get deposited in your bank. So like, there's you're never spending any money because you're you're not home. You're no, you know, you're like on our days off, we'd go to the mall. So that would be like, and we'd buy a couple patches for our jacket, and that's pretty much it. And all of our food is basically there was food on the buses, and then there was food at the venues. So we on our day off, we had to buy food. That was pretty much it. Wow, I want to hear some of these stories, but we don't have time for it. Oh, there's I got I got a video if you're ever over. <laughs> <laughs> okay, girls going wild. As I was gonna say, is this a uh, beyond PG rated movie? Not for no, Teresa. No, it's, it's a it's a backstage kind of video. Like Pete was the whole time. I like again. This was before real cell phones. Like this was <laughs> we had like pagers back then. Like this was before, <laughs> like before camera phones and all that. So like. It was a different time. So I, I literally had a a camera with film. Like, that was my camera that I was taking pictures with. So it was, that's how, that, you know, if that tells you anything about the time. When I was taking pictures of all the Little George stuff, Pete had a video camera, like an old school, like, video camera. And he was actually filming a bunch of behind the scenes stuff. So, like, he put together, like, a little home movie kind of thing of our experience. I mean, you know how um, smartphones are today. Can you even imagine having a smartphone in that scenario today? Oh my God, it would have been amazing. Like the, <laughs> like I, I wish I would have had, I mean, I don't know, maybe not. Like, I don't know if all those people would still do what they were doing if there was a camera around, but it was the first time I ever saw somebody like sniff Coke in that little line, like you see in the movies. Yeah. Where they chop it up and yeah. Yeah. It was like, it was the first time I'd ever seen that. I was like, Oh my God, can I take a picture? He was like, what the fuck out of here? <laughs> you sound like, you sound, you sound like Teresa in uh, California during decon. Oh my Guys, yes, our little uh, adventure I, we did. Well, I, cut, I, I did cut that out of last week's episode, but I'll just share that again another time. Uh, people don't like you taking pictures of things that are intriguing to them, apparently. <laughs> yeah, no, apparently, apparently not. I got yelled at for that. And it wasn't, it, wasn't anybody, like, it wasn't anybody on our tour. Like, it wasn't anybody we knew or anything. So I just didn't, like, I didn't really care. But 
<laughs> no, you're just like me. I'm like, oh, I've never seen this before. I want to document it. <laughs> and then the security guard comes outside and says, hey, ma'am, can I see your phone? <laughs> yeah. What guy's going to shoot me up? What did you, let me see your phone. <laughs> no, that, that really happened, people. A security guard came out and took her phone. That's real. <laughs> it's real. Okay, uh, let's move on. So that's a good story. I think most Hi. of those pictures, just so everybody knows, I think – there's a, there might still be a bunch of Little George pictures up on Flickr. I'm not sure if that is still up or not. I used to have a site called littlegeorge.com. I still have all those pictures. I just don't know if they're up online anywhere right now. They might still be uh, on Flickr. I just found a Flickr album of Little so they're George. Not, they're not all there, but there's a bunch there, I think. Wow. He's, I didn't realize he was that little in some cases. There's some really little Little Georges. Oh yeah, there was a bunch of different ones. Most of them were like a, a like a twelve inch doll style, but there was a couple little small ones. All right, I'll I'll make sure we include this link in the. I'm gonna have a hard time doing links for a lot of stuff, but I'll definitely include the Flickr album. Okay, so sculpting stuff. You know you've done a lot of stuff, George, but are there things that you sculpted that never got produced? I'm sure there's. At least a handful, right? Or is that like a huge list? Can you talk uh, no, about any? It's a pretty big list. There's a ton of stuff that like, throughout the years. Oh yeah, there's. I don't know if I could think of any off the top of my head that are like that are something anybody would even know. But yeah, there's a ton of stuff that I've made that's never been anywhere. Like there's there's like I did some. Bindi Irwin had a toy line at one point. I was doing. I did some like elephant thing for that i don't think that thing ever came out there was a whole silent screamers mezco playset that we made that didn't come out yeah there's 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 a ton over the years i would say probably my percentage of toys i would say it's probably 60 40 that came out 60 40 didn't (laughs) oh wow wow and is that is that the same case in the scene do you have a lot of stuff you'll do for people in the designer toy scene that also doesn't ever come to fruition? Uh, I think that's less for sure because it's most people aren't really going to do the thing unless they can make it. Um, but it's definitely – it still happened for sure, yeah. Is there one you can disclose that you were super disappointed didn't, didn't get done in the scene? Uh, I don't know if I can remember any. There was something with there was something with Buff Monster I remember happening like did oh, it go to production yeah. or I, I guess we could talk about that one that was the most yeah that was probably the most disheartening one um, there was a whole line of he was doing it was when he first started that Melty Misfits line yeah and he was still living out here in L A um, and Ben was going to make a line of like miniatures a line of like PVC minis um, and we did I did six characters. I don't know what happened, but everybody like everybody changed their mind basically, and it was right. It was right after we were done, like with the approvals on like the last one, and everything just kind of stopped, and we just never made them. Jeez, you got paid though, yeah. Uh, eh, eh. kind of, sort of. <laughs> okay. I still have the sculpts, and they're on my shelf. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. You got something out of it. <laughs> yeah. Bring them back. Is that they're possible? They're not to bring back. They're not my designs. They're not my, you know, they're not my characters. They're not my designs. That's what happens when you're a sculptor. It's not yours. Yeah. yeah that makes That's sense. toy life. It happens. 
Yeah, and it's it's I don't care. Like it doesn't. At, at some point, like the first time it happens, you get bummed out, and then like you realize, like, oh wait a minute, no, it it doesn't matter. Like none of this. You just you're not you're a sculptor for hire. Like my, you know my my hands are just there to make your thing, and it's not has nothing to do with me at that point. Right. So like you can't you don't get bummed when it comes out, or you don't get bummed when it doesn't come out. And you can't really get that happy when it does come out. You have a, you have a favorite for the designer toy scene, or do you not want to disclose a favorite? Favorite that I've sculpted. Yeah, favorite, either sculpt or project or like of all the things that have come to life that you've had your hands on. What is your favorite? In designer toys or in regular toys? That's tough. Designer. Um, like for for designer ones, like I just I really liked that Ragnar series we did with Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know that I would say it's like my favorite thing I've ever sculpted, but I just had a really good time making it. And it was like the first thing I made with Ben. So it was kind of like that, like, it's almost like making your first toy again. Yeah. Um, that, that, and it just didn't, it, it didn't really hit with the toy scene. Like they didn't, it didn't really take off, but there was, I, I love that line. I still think it's great, but there's, there's been a bunch that I've, you know, I'm, I'm proud of a lot of the stuff and the designer stuff that I made. What about the mainstream world then? What are you most proud of? I think my favorite one is still the first spawn thing that I got to see as like a package toy. Wow. Like it was like just it was just a gun, but it was like to see that first <laughs> It's just a gun. <laughs> granted, it was a giant gun. Like it was like it was like the big accessory that he came with. But it was like that was like the first package toy in a toy store that I got to see that I made. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. So like that that was probably the one that's like the most it was like I think it was called Spawn Four was the spawn was the figure that it was. I mean it came with this giant Gatling gun and I did that gun. Is there uh I wanna ask about George's collecting, Gary, but I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about first. No, I had it. Well, so I know you're a collector too, George, but I still don't think I've truly pinpointed what exactly it is you like to collect. Cause like I, maybe it's just because you span a lot of different stuff, but even when I see like your decon haul, it's like, (laughs) it's so vast the things you have. So, I mean, are, are you a very eclectic collector that collects mainstream along with designer toy? Or is there a certain area you focus? Cause I know you also like minis. Yeah, that's tough. I I I think I collect way too many things, and I try all the time to like okay, limit it to what the you know just these things, and I'll think about it and be like, well, what about and this one, and then oh no, and these, and then this. So it's like I I collect way too much stuff. I, I basically like if it's aesthetically pleasing, I'll collect it. Like if it's something that hits my like it hits my likes. It doesn't have to be like a certain brand or a certain company or a certain this or that. Like it just has to be cool to me. Like that's that's what I collect. Okay, and so let's say my shelf, the shelf in this room that I'm talking in right now. There is a so right now the the way I'm facing to my right is a shelf of Muscle Men. In front of me is two tubes of Hot Wheel cars, like two <laughs> giant tubes of Hot Wheel cars with Muppet figures on top of that. Next to that is <laughs> an entire shelf of Glios, which is kind of my main collection, I would say, right now. And that Glios includes everything from O'Neill Design to Spy Monkey Creations to 
Warlords of War to God Beast to you know all these different companies that all make Glios. They're all mixed in together. So that's my Glio stuff. Next to that is an AT-AT. Next to that are Muppet toys. Next to that are Star Wars and superhero action figures from Target. Below that is a shelf of Ashley Wood 3A toys mixed in with some handmade resin pieces I bought at Decon last year, uh, some Japanese toys and a My Little Pony, and underneath <laughs> that are Venom toys. <laughs> okay. They're all over the place. So no, I think that, that kind of describes what my collecting style is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everything. So... <laughs> For a guy who likes everything, yet whenever we bring toys up, says he hates them all. <laughs> That's the thing. If, everyone thinks I hate every toy, but I don't. Like I have so many toys in here. What was that okay, comment so someone made on our? our uh, I think it was last week's episode. There's an Instagram was it comment right now where he's like, "Oh look, the guy that hates my stuff." Yeah. <laughs> oh look, the guy who hates my stuff, and then you comment oh, like, man. "It wasn't me because I own several of your toys." <laughs> Yeah, there's in, in this room, if you keep turning around, I, I stopped at the 3A shelf, but if you keep going to the left, there's a Rika piece hanging right next to my, <laughs> at, at, right next to my uh, poster of um, Shepherd Fairy. So, yeah, there's I, – I have many, uh, many a toy. It doesn't really matter. Like people used to think I hate bootlegs, but I have a huge bootleg collection. <laughs> like, walking contradiction, George. Like, I, it's what's crazy. Like, everybody would be like, oh, you hate bootlegs because you said bootlegs are terrible. It's like, no, I collect a ton of bootlegs. There's a ton that I hate. There's a ton that are really bad. But the good ones, I collect. <laughs> <laughs> well, for you, okay, the good so that... is the bad is the worst possible. No, bootlegs. that's Dove. The good to, to Dove, the worse they are, the better. Oh. So let's say you had to make a Christmas list for someone and it was like your top five toy wants. What would you put on it to assist? So like, you know, like our families may not understand the scene. So they might say, okay, if you really want stuff from the toy world, tell me what what top five you'd want. What would your top five be? You know what? Honestly, I probably wouldn't tell friends or family to buy toys for me anymore just because it, I know that they'd be wasting their time. Like they would be, you know, because people try and do that kind of stuff. And like they get you something that they think fits your thing, and it's just yeah. like, ugh, like I has no, like I don't want that thing at all. So like I honestly would never tell people to buy me toys because I know, like, I mean, you guys know this scene. If the thing that you want is usually only available for an hour, so like, yeah. if yeah. you didn't buy it, it's probably not the one you want anymore. Um, like the other, the other variant of something, or like, and like this Clio stuff. Like I buy the ones I want the day they come out so chances are like you know no one's going to be able to find something like that for me i got you i, I totally you hear, understand that you hear that jess george is a lost cause no more toy gifts get me socks <laughs> <laughs> socks get and underwear socks, socks and underwear that's the stuff i don't buy that's the stuff i don't buy myself get me socks <laughs> and underwear it's the exact opposite of when i was a kid right but hey i i love a good old sock gift i like socks now I'm i would much rather honestly if some stranger wants to get me a gift or like or someone in my family you know just buy me socks because chances are like i need them and i don't have them and any toy you're gonna try and find i've already got no i mean it's true because it, it 
if you were to flip that around and ask me the same question, I'd probably say the same thing. Like people in my family just don't get it. It's too hard to explain. And they're probably going to completely miss the mark. And then you're going to feel bad because they're like, why didn't you put it on your shelf? And I want to be like, cause it's crap. I don't want it. Yeah. So, and then it's like, do I have to keep this thing now? Like, right? uh, and it's then it's for sale pile. <laughs> <laughs> what about enamel pins? Do you trust anyone to buy you an enamel pin? Uh, yeah, I think that's probably fine because okay. I, I don't really like, I don't have like a collection of like, Oh my God, these are the ones that I love the most. Like I just put them all up on a wall. Okay. Well, George, you know what the, you know, well, anytime we reach out to the group for some questions, we get some good questions and we get some not so good questions. No, How? we get, we get not so good questions. <laughs> no, there's, there's an occasional, there's an occasional gem in there, a diamond in the rough, but there's a lot of rough. And so we got a lot of rough ones. How will we just end? With a couple uh, quick, rough questions for you. Okay, good. <laughs> What's Bring your... it on, dummies. <laughs> <laughs> Marshamites, George. They're oh, Marshamites. yeah. I forgot. We have a name for them. It's not dummies. <laughs> have you ever driven Ben's DeLorean? No, I have not. Huh. I don't even know that I've ever ridden in it. I must have. But no, I've definitely never driven it. No. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite Ninja Turtle? Donatello. What's your favorite Golden Girl? I I don't have one. Who's the oldest? <laughs> who's the old little old lady? One? I don't know the little old lady one. We'll Sophie. Sophia. Sophia. Is it Sophia? I think so. You just pull that out of your ass. All right. Uh, do you like Mexican bootlegs? See, that's the that's the one. That's the one that's been going on for years. <laughs> that that right there is a toy break viewer. Whoever wrote that question is a toy break viewer. <laughs> because that's been going on for so long that I hate Mexican bootlegs. <laughs> oh, do you? God. No, I love Mexican bootlegs. They're so good. You go down to you go down to like the little what's that little Alvaro Street out here and you find all those Mexican knockoffs. And people got so mad because I called them Mexican knockoffs. And they were like, you can't just say they're Mexican just because they're – I'm like, oh, they're made in Mexico. That's what they are. They're Mexican knockoffs. In California, <laughs> when you buy these knockoffs, they're made in Mexico. Oh, man. You can't that win, George. They right can't there. win. Whoever wrote that. <laughs> I got an awesome set. The last time Dove went down there, he found this set of Ninja Turtles, this Mexican knockoff set. And it's so good. Um, he picked it up for me. It was like 11 bucks. It was so good. I'll post a picture. I'll send you a picture when the, so you can put it up with the episode. Okay. How did you meet Jess? That's not actually a dumb question. We've, we've gone over this before, but you want to go over it real quick? Uh, I don't know. Does she, was she, was she mind if I say that stuff? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's fine. I think, uh, it was all through Ben and Victoria actually. Yeah. I remember uh, the story. She said it online, met it through Ben and Victoria. And yeah, at first, she, like she, she wasn't into you at all. Somehow, oh, no. she we didn't. We, I mean, I've actually technically known her for a long time. Like she, because she was, you know, at the same. If Ben and Victoria had a party or something like that, she would be there. Or you know, Ben's birthday or something like that. So I think there was one, one New Year's where like, I, I think it was you know back when I back when I was still married to Aileen at the time. Uh, Aileen was out of town for New Year's, so I was just going to be home by myself. And Ben was like, no, we're going out. He's like, we're coming by to pick you up. I was like, no, don't pick me up. He's like, we're going. 
And like in the limo that Ben came with, like Jessica with her boyfriend at the time was in there. Like, so we've actually like hung out before in the past, but never talked to each other. Like we didn't like, we didn't know, we didn't know each other or talk to each other at all. I mean, it's the same situation for a lot of people. That's how they tend to meet their their significant others through friends, and you t- tend to know them for each other for a while, and then one day, I don't know, sparks happen all of a sudden. Yeah, I think it just when we finally like were able to hang out and like actually know each other on a on a basis where we were like looking at each other in that way, I guess kind of changed. Who approached who approached who in that scenario? Then did you approach her? Did she approach you? Do you remember? Uh, Ben and Victoria tricked us into hanging out. Uh, <laughs> Master they, plan. They, yeah, they they knew that because we're kind of the same in the way where like we don't really like to go where there's going to be a lot of people. Um, so they each they tricked us into coming over for like an Oscar party or something like that, and saying like, no, it's just gonna we're just gonna watch the Oscars. Like we're just gonna hang out and watch the Oscars. And then all of a sudden it was like they told her like, Oh no, it's just going to be us. We're watching the Oscars. <laughs> and it turns out it's a large group of people. And you guys like sat outside. Well, they the they did that to both of us, not telling us that the other one was going to be there. Oh, okay. So, oh, yeah, so it's like a double was, date kind of thing. Yeah. It was kind of like a trick kind of thing. They like to do that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, no, well, they mean well. And look, look where it got you. She's just Gaspar now. Exactly. It ended up okay. Going Gaspar. <laughs> Well, let's wrap it up. I thought it was good, George. Was, I, I like hearing all your uh, your backstory. I'm sure that there's a million things. Oh, I there's, forgot. there's a billion more, and we'll 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 circle back. <laughs> you were on the show. I don't know in the very beginning when we first started doing the show. I know there's another episode out there all about George and talking to George. And yeah, I was gonna say I think in like one of your early episodes we probably covered a bunch of that already. Yeah, I'm sure we did. I remember back then we talked more about your Kickstarter and all that sort of stuff as well. But yeah, we, we definitely touched on Toy Break back then. And and then, yeah, I don't remember how you exactly started on the show. I remember you reached out. You're like, oh, yay, I like your show. It's fun. And then we invited you on. And I think at the time, maybe Tyler. So in the beginning, it was myself, Aaron Holsizer, and Tyler Ham. And I think maybe Tyler dropped out. And uh, you stepped in. You filled the shoes, and you've been on ever since. I think the first one that dropped out was Aaron, wasn't was it? it? Aaron? Or, no, maybe not. No, maybe no, yeah. no you know it was what? Tyler. I think, but I think the one I was on, Tyler was here. Tyler and was Aaron on with you. Like maybe Aaron couldn't be on that night, and Tyler was there. I think. I think it was more of a roving thing where you do. Yeah, I would just contact you when I needed a third. Yeah, and then, exactly. Uh, and then just one day, I think Tyler decided, "Hey, I." You know, I'm just too busy. I need to, uh, I need to move on. And then you filled the shoes. That was back when I was able to be a ham sandwich every once in a while. That's right. And no relation. Tyler was. I. Uh, we should have Tyler on. I would love to have a reunion. Get all, get the original six or seven hosts back on. God, if anyone hasn't heard the Halloween episode where Tyler tells the Halloween story of his house, go back and listen to that because that's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Did we answer all of Greg's questions? Um. We covered most of it. He wanted to know about um, how you met Jess, working with McFarlane, um, employers you had, the DeLorean, Gentle Giant. Yeah, so I think you covered – we covered you, Greg. I think Greg was confused as if – like he was thinking that you work full-time, but then you did side work for 3D Retro. I, I don't think he fully understood like what the average day in the life of George is like. 
It's a lot of YouTube. Well, it, <laughs> <laughs> well, like like the whole FX stuff you do with movies, I didn't realize that wasn't a full-time gig. I thought that's what you did all the time, and then on the side you sculpted. I didn't realize that was a freelance thing as well. So he probably thought something similar. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, think so. most of my life, most of my work is always is, is a freelance capacity. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Well, how about we just take a brief moment and wrap it up? And George, you go first this time. Where can people find you? Oh, I'm first. Uh, you can find me at uh, Double G Toys on Instagram and at DXGX Pins on Instagram. And I, has a, I have a store envy now. It's doublegtoys.storeenvy.com. If you want to buy any of my old merchandise or a couple of the new things that I just created for Decon and are now up for sale. Nice. And I'm sorry, Teresa, for saying all of the toy names of companies you've never heard of <laughs> and bands you've never heard of and all of the things you've never heard of. But you've got a lot of research to do now. I'm sorry, Teresa, well, for never experiencing life before until now. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I do apologize. Maybe I'm not cultured, but I'm also younger. So, you know, say, you're much talk. younger. So I'm sure all the things I was yeah. talking about are just older than you. I tr- I try like you will laugh. I don't I don't even know what Golden Go- Girls is. I mean, I know it's a thing, but I've never watched it. I'm so terrible. But <laughs> and you're not missing anything. No, it, I, I, you know, I did my best to follow along, but I apologize for not for not knowing things. Anyway, <laughs> where, can, where can people find you, Teresa? Uh, they can check me out on Instagram. My username is tmhawk24. And I am Gary Ham. You can find me at Gary Ham on Instagram or superham.com. This has been the Marsham Toy Hour. We're burdening bridges every week. Not because we have to. <laughs> but because, well, we don't really want to burn bridges. No, we don't. <laughs> it happens. But though. because we want to. But because we have to. <laughs> <laughs> So until our next transmission, we're signing off. Bye. Bye. There's just a lot of, no, you know. You say something and people act like somebody just got hurt. I don't understand it, but you know, it's, it's what the young people do and I respect it. Yeah, most people out there are not fanning themselves every time somebody says something. They, they understand, they understand context, they understand two sides of the story, they understand due process, they understand all of this stuff. Like, I think you should be allowed to disagree, which is kind of seems to be going away. <laughs>